You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, a member of the committee staff. This week's episode will be another one recorded live at the ABA annual meeting in San Francisco. This is an excerpt from the CLE Showcase program, Law Firm Cybersecurity Requirements You Never Dreamed Of, Emerging Threats, Ethical Obligations to Clients, and Survival Tactics, held Friday, August 9th. It's the keynote speech from Jill Rhodes, who's the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Option Care Enterprises, Inc., who's also a former member of the intelligence community and a former guest on NSLT talking about cybersecurity and what it means for national security. You can find the full audio for this panel at our website, AmericanBar.org NatSecurity, or in the notes to this podcast. If you visit us online, please be sure to check out information for our upcoming annual conference, the 29th Annual Review of the Field of National Security Law. It will be November 7th and 8th, 2019, here in Washington, D.C., and it's a two-day CLE conference full of expert practitioners on different areas of national security law. We also have a breakfast program coming up on September 17th. We're going to have a short breakfast at 8 a.m. with Thomas Monheim, the general counsel of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Again, you can find all of that and more on our website, AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity, and enjoy the episode. Thank you for that introduction. So I want to start today with um, a story about one of my good friends. And her name's Cheryl. We've been friends for as long as I can remember. And about a year ago, Cheryl found her ideal job. She was asked by a company in Europe to open up their first location and office in the United States. She was thrilled. She was so excited, it was right in her line of work, it was perfect. So Cheryl opened this up, and then a few months later, I didn't hear from her. And I wasn't hearing from her, about six months later, I called her, I'm like, what's going on? And she said, well, I left the company. And I said, what? What happened? She said, Jill, you're not going to believe this. During my travels, I must have clicked on a phishing email or something. Someone got into my computer acted as me, and was able to transfer a million dollars from my company. Now, phishing is something, this is a true story, phishing is something that we all hear about and we all know about. We're like, oh, phishing emails, we've got to look at that, we've got to manage that. But the issue here was not the phishing email, because we all should expect in our companies and our firms that we're going to get fished. The issue is, how could a company, a mid-sized company, not have financial controls in place that would allow a single individual to transfer a million dollars to a third-party bank in a country where they don't do business? Gone. So when we think about information security, ooh, can you turn that down a little bit? That's like way loud. When you think about information security, we need to think about not just protecting our IT and think about our IT, we need to think about the holistic, what is going on in our business? What is going on in our law firms? How are we protecting it from end to end? Because it's protecting our information and it's protecting our reputation. 
And speaking of reputation, I want to talk for a little bit about some interesting things that have been happening in the news. How many of you have heard of Capital One? Right? The Capital One breach. A hundred million people impacted. And we are so used to hearing about these breaches that we go, oh, 100 million. No, guys, that is about a third of the U.S. population. Let's keep these things in perspective. I'm not going to go into details about this, but I will tell you one thing. Person used to work at Amazon. She knew that when Capital One start, set up its uh, transition or its transfer of its data up to the Amazon Web Services, Capital One did not do the right configurations. They didn't set up the right configurations in Amazon Cloud Services. She exploited that, put all the information on GitHub, and GitHub's an application that, um, that IT, people, IT, people, IT people use sorry, to try to talk with other IT people. GitHub's being sued right now. Amazon's being sued right now. But what I want you to learn from this is what I said initially. Capital One did not establish the right security in the cloud, in the Amazon cloud, and that misconfiguration led to this breach. So many times we put data in the cloud and we're like, oh, it's Amazon, it's secure. If you look at the contracts that we've all signed to put our data in the cloud, none of them cover the security. That's our responsibility unless you hire them specifically to secure your data. So when you go back to your firms and your organizations on Monday, sit down with whoever has agreed and how your data is going up into the cloud and ask them if they've worked on the security configuration. Because we all assume that someone else is doing it when actually it's our responsibility. Next, Uber. I want to talk about Uber. 57 million people, $148 million fine came out. States Attorney Generals. Now, what was this? What was so interesting about Uber, and what's the lesson I'd like you to take back from Uber? The $148 million fine for Uber was not because of the data breach. It was because Uber tried to hide the data breach in violation of data breach reporting laws. They actually paid the hackers $100,000 to hide the situation, and they paid it out of their bug bounty program. So for those of you who don't know what a bug bounty program is, it's a program that large companies set up. So if you find something wrong on their technology, you let them know, and then they give you a reward. Uber paid the hackers out of this bug bounty program after they'd already stolen all the data. Hopefully you see the irony in that. As Marriott, I think there's been a lot of discussion about SPG Marriott. And, uh, I think there was a recent GDPR fine of $124 million that came out. Two things I want you to take out of Marriott. First of all, this SPG brief happened two years before Marriott acquired SPG. Two years. So the question is, what kind of due diligence was done? I don't know. But was there due diligence done prior to the merger that they could have identified this breach. And again, I don't know. I don't have an answer. It's a question. But the second question, especially for those of you who work in mergers and acquisitions or have clients who are doing mergers and acquisitions, is what can the insurance pay for? What about the insurance? 
Because as you know, in mergers and acquisitions, most insurance occurs from the date that the company is merged and forward. How do you take care of 338 million people who are impacted by a breach that occurred two years before SVG was acquired by Marriott? Fines. We're hearing about fines all the time. I talked about a couple. I just want to bring this up because we're short on time. This week, I think Equifax, $700 million in fines. Facebook, $5 billion. Largest fine ever, $5 billion for Facebook. And Facebook has, I think there are 11 investigations going on right now in G with GDPR. Lots of fines. So really anticipating and thinking about, can these fines actually have impact? So let's stop for a second, because that can be overwhelming. A couple things, those are really big organizations. You know, lots of us aren't in those big organizations. Still, those lessons learned are going to be really critical to take back to all of our organizations. And the bottom line is, it starts with you. Going back to Cheryl's situation, right? Yeah, Cheryl was at fault, but the whole company was at fault. It starts with you. Everyone in your firm should be thinking about information security. It needs to be integrated into the culture. We have to understand and prioritize our risk. Where is our data? What is the risk that that data is bringing in? And how are we protecting that data? I go by this four-tier model. Governance, people, process, technology. Okay. Now, let me explain something. OK, I am not a mathematician. That's why I'm in law. But I do believe that 75% of that, three of four, is not technology. So for those of you who are technophobes and don't like technology, there's still that other 75% that needs to get done. The problem becomes when we focus solely on the technology and we forget about the governance, the people, and the process. So let's talk through each of those. First, with governance. What is governance? Governance is oversight. Broader oversight. There are several frameworks out there for cybersecurity oversight. There's the NIST cybersecurity framework. There's ISO 27000. Doesn't matter which framework your organization uses, just grab one and use it. It's also putting your policies in place and having an oversight board and understanding what your risk is. Where are your assets and what kind of risk is there to your organization? and involving people at the highest levels. The board of directors should be briefed regularly. You decide what regularly means. And what's going on with how your organization, your firm, is protecting its data. All right, let's talk about people. I love the people side. People, of course, are our greatest asset and also our greatest risk. Per my friend Cheryl, right, they get fished all the time. There is fishing. Most of what we see happening in our firms, in our organizations, happens because we have smart people who do not such smart things. Or sometimes in the CISO world, we call it smart people who are smart in other things. Right? So looking at how are we training our people? We have insider threats, such as the situation with Capital One. We have People who really want to do the right thing and then click on phishing emails, such as my friend Cheryl. Again, how do we get at them? 
I'm going to take a, a step back and talk about this issue of business email compromise. The FBI have, has declared this issue, business email compromise. Someone spearfishes you. They go in and they look for either someone at a high level, say CFO, CEO, or someone who they believe will have access to information, accounts, which could be a very low-level person in your finance department or your HR department. And they try to get into their account, and then they act as them. They sit in the account, and then they start sending emails out. Right? That's what happened to Cheryl. She sent a, Someone sent an email out looking like her. Huge growth in business email compromise. It is only getting bigger. It is only getting harder to manage. The only way to address this is through education and training. Now, that's the infuser. My company, Option Care Health, is an infusion company. We say information security is a super serious message, but we don't have to deliver it in a serious way. So when people around our company see that, they immediately think security because they recognize our little mascot. So how do we educate our population? One, we fish them. Send out fake phishing emails, and when they click on it, they get a message saying this was a phishing email. And here's how you would know it was a phishing email. These are the things that you could have looked at. We do this monthly. It's amazing to watch as our, our employees learn about phishing emails. Because phishing is the number one way that all of these all of these viruses get in and all this malware. So we fish. We send out posters. We also have an ambassador program. So for every location that we have, we have an individual who is not an IT person. They are a nurse, a pharmacy manager, pharmacy tech, an office manager, who we meet with on a monthly basis, and we talk to them about information security matters, not just with our company, but around the world. What's happening globally? What's happened? We just did one at a meeting with them yesterday, and we talked about going back to school and bringing kids and getting your kids off to college and how you keep your kids safe. Because ultimately, when we teach people about information security from an internal issue, from their family, from every aspect of their life, so they're integrating it, it integrates into their work life as well. All right, let's talk about process, a few things with process. First of all, third-party risk. Next, we've all heard about Target from several years ago. It was a little HVAC company that got breached and came into Target. We all share our data with so many people who are providing support to us, whether it's an IT company that is providing support to us or someone who's doing data extraction for us or data review for us. We pass our information out. The question is, how are those people protecting our information? We need to set up a third-party risk management program. Next, financial management. So we're seeing the same thing. We talked about this with my friend Cheryl. Financial management. What financial uh, controls are in place that protect data? Now, I will tell you, I've seen, and we have um, a CISO group around our community, and we share stories all the time. There was a CISO who said, you're not going to believe this. A very junior-level person received an email from one of our banks saying, hey, our account changed. Please put this new account information in. Millions of dollars were transferred. It was back to that business email compromise, right? One person in that company, there were not proper financial controls. She just independently changed that 
that bank account number, millions of dollars of payment went out to that third party. This is happening every day. Access management, next. How are people accessing your information? Who is accessing? The one situation I've seen multiple times is law firms say, okay, we've got a big case, everyone gets access to this case. And then as the case moves along, everyone still has access to the case, even though maybe only 30 people need access. And that access isn't diminished based upon need. And then finally, I'm sure you've all heard, it's not if, but when an incident's going to occur. And so it's really important that there's a response plan and a recovery plan in process. So my question for all of you is, how many of you are aware of your organization's response plan? When an incident occurs, do you know what to do? Do you know who to contact? Have you ever exercised that plan? We exercise our plans twice a year. We literally bring everyone in from IT and legal to the business, and we sit down and we say, okay, we have a ransomware. How do we respond to this? And everyone, we bring in marketing. We have outside counsel that comes in. We have a forensics firm that's outside us that comes in. How do we handle this? How do we manage it? So if anything were to happen, we'd be able to respond immediately. All right, finally, technology. Last up. Whoop. How many of you guys remember Pong? Yeah, right. This whole room, not quite. Almost the whole room remembers Pong, right? It was great. It was like the thing. And this, does anyone know what this is? Fortnite. Right, Fortnite. We're like, oh, yeah, Fortnite's the new thing. It's actually not the new thing. This is kind of old hat now, if you ask my 10-year-old. It's kind of old hat, but Fortnite. Why? Because technology is changing rapidly, and we have to stay up with it. It becomes very nerve-wracking to try to stay up with it, but there is a way. And I think everyone's going to get a copy of this. Next week, take this back and sit down with your IT people and talk through this. This is, I call this our layered approach, and I love it. Starts with the outside, works our way in. The governance people and process is kind of on the bottom greens. But you can sit down with your IT people and say, tell me about perimeter security. That's the outside, right? Do you have firewalls? How are you protecting the outside world from getting into us? All those third parties that are coming in, how are they coming in, right? We're following the data. Ask those questions. And if you don't understand what they're responding with, look at them and say, you need to get someone who can speak my language. This is not rocket science. You should be able to, you can understand this. And they can speak in a way where you will understand it. Don't stop without. Next, network security. Who's on your network? Can they tell you who's sitting on your network right now and when someone from the Ukraine, someone from Iran, has entered your network? Can they tell you that? Endpoint security, our laptops. How are our laptops secure? How are our cell phones secure? Do we have a, a you know, do we have multi-factor authentication? What do, we, what do we have? How are we securing these devices? Ask those questions. Application security, do we know what applications we have? And if we don't know what applications we have, the question is, are people just able to download whatever application they want and use it on our system? And then finally, our data security. How are we tracking where our data is and where that risk is? Say, so in the end, it all starts with each one of us. It all starts with you. It all starts with me. Every day we have to start thinking about this as we're working with our data, our very sensitive, critical critical data across the world, uh, uh, across the day, and across our environment. 
Okay, again, remember, governance, people, process, and technology. And now I'm going to turn it back to Ruth. Thank you for tuning in to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. You can check the notes to this podcast or visit us online at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity for the full audio from this annual meeting program. You can also find information for registration for the annual review conference this November in D.C. or our breakfast with Thomas Monheim, the general counsel of National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. You can also drop us a note at nationalsecurity at americanbar.org, follow us on Twitter at ABANATSEC, and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to hear new episodes every week. Next week, we're going to be starting a short series on election security and foreign interference that we think you'll enjoy. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.